Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, David Go, in studio, ready to bring you, as always, some more great Brewers content. Uh, talk about the Brewers who are, of course, running away with the division on the verge of clinching the division. They clinched a postseason spot. Uh, their ticket is in for October, but of course, really looking to clinch that division soon. The magic number is three, so we're getting close. Um, and we're just kind of waiting to see when the Brewers will clinch it. And then, of course, getting ready for October because the last few games, these uh, week and a half of games, don't mean a whole lot. Sure, they mean some for seeding, but looks like the Brewers will probably be the two seed in the National League. Uh, just basically want to make sure they get off on the right foot heading into October um, as the Brewers are looking as one of the, I would say, one of the favorites uh, to make the Fall Classic and to potentially bring home the World Series trophy. Uh, don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, though, as we uh, as we talk about the Brewers. And we'll be talking more about uh, getting ready for the postseason, postseason roster, uh, who might make that, what teams we should be maybe concerned about uh, as Brewer fans, because, of course, it's not going to be an easy road if the Brewers do make it all the way to the World Series. So without further ado, we're going to get started on today's episode, bring you with a trivia question today. I know I'm the only one on the podcast today, but it'll be kind of a, a mental exercise for you guys. Um, nobody answering the question on the podcast here. Nobody that I'm quizzing. Peter's not with us, but you guys can still quiz yourselves on today's trivia question. Last night, uh, the Brewers faced John Lester, <clears throat> left-hander. We're pretty familiar with him. Spent a lot of years with the Cubs. Uh, was with the Nationals earlier this year before being dealt to St. Louis in a deadline trade. And he earned his 200th career win as a pitcher. How many active players, including Lester now, have at least 200 wins to their names? Uh, so there's there's a few of them. Uh, I'll give you a hint on that. It's not like 10, um, but there's, of course, more than just John Lester. He is not the only active pitcher with 200 wins. Uh, so how many can you guys name? How many do you think there are? So that's going to be today's trivia question. As always, we'll come to you with the answer on that at the end of the episode. We also do have a random player of the day today, and it is the great Adam Lind, who spent one year in Milwaukee, 2015. The Brewers dealt uh, swingman Marco Estrada for him to Toronto. Estrada actually ended up having a nice couple of years there with the Blue Jays. I think he made an all-star team or two. Um, but Lind did, had, did a very nice job with the Brewers back in 2015, Pretty bad team. That was, I think, the year that they won 68 games only. But he did hit 277, 360 on base percentage, 20 home runs, 87 RBIs, and uh, 460 slugging. So overall, was very productive in his year as the Brewers' full-time first baseman in 2015. But the bigger thing was after the year, the Brewers dealt him to Seattle. Brought back three young pitchers, I think all 18 or 19 at the time. Uh, by the names of Daniel Misaki, Carlos Herrera, and Freddy Peralta. Freddy Peralta, of course, being one of the Brewers' best starting pitchers now. At the time of them acquiring him, 
Uh, he was just 19 years old and had pitched a little bit in rookie ball. I remember reading about um, them scouting him, and, and basically the scout said if this guy were a high school prospect, he'd probably be a late first-round pick. Uh, he's undersized a little bit, but had an excellent fastball. The life on his fastball was always there, still is now. He has one of the better fastballs across all of baseball. And uh, even though his velocity wasn't premium, he was throwing like 90-91. For a 19-year-old at, what, how, old, how tall is he, 5'11", maybe, pretty small frame, uh, the Brewers really liked what they saw out of him. And he was the bigger piece of the three. And, of course, he ended up becoming uh, a very good pitcher. The Brewers have him locked up for a few more years also with a contract extension. Uh, but that coming from Adam Lind, who did a very nice job in 2015 with the Brewers. That year in Seattle, he then overall wasn't very good. 239 average and 286 on-base percentage. Did hit 20 home runs, but uh, the contact and the on-base numbers just weren't quite there. Bounced around, spent another year in Washington then, where he was pretty productive as a part-time player. Hit 303 across 301 at-bats, but after that, really never, uh, never got it going again, and uh, has not played in the major leagues since the end of the 2017 season. So Adam Lynn, today's random player of the day, and of course leading to Freddie Peralta, who we know as uh, one of the Brewers' big three, um, which, as a side note, everybody always says the big three, like it's used for everything, of course. I think it, it, it kind of created, or was, was created, maybe not created, but um, gained popularity with LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh with the Miami Heat back, was that 10 years ago already? Uh, but is there like another name we could think of other than big three? Like, I feel like it's kind of overused. Think about the Bucks, Giannis and, and Middleton and Drew Holiday. It's the big three. It's always, I feel like everything's always the big three. What if we like came up with like, like the terrific three or uh, maybe something more baseball specific? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe if you guys have any ideas, uh, you can send them in. And we can, uh, we, can, we can discuss what maybe would be a better alternative to the big three when we're talking about the, the trio of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. But today's random player of the day, Adam Lind, just wanted to touch on him uh, one more time uh, as we get started today. First topic that we're going to discuss is, should the Brewers be concerned about the St. Louis Cardinals? Not a, a question, not a topic that I thought we were going to have to address uh, this season, because the, the Cardinals going in, sure, maybe uh, on paper were maybe the best team in the National League Central. Uh, they were looking you know, pretty good, and also they get, they made that big acquisition of Nolan Arenado, who has not quite lived up to expectations there. Only a 257 average, 313 on base, but he does still have 33 home runs, 101 RBIs out of that cleanup spot, 32 doubles as well, um, and, and a 503 slugging. And of course, great defense as always. It's not like it's not like Nolan Arenado uh, has been a liability um, or or like a, an aging star on a big contract. Nothing like that. Uh, but just he hasn't quite been a superstar this year. And I think when the Cardinals acquired Arenado, it kind of allowed fans to almost like overlook the flaws that the Cardinals had, like the offense. That really, it's actually stepped up a little bit um, more than what would have been expected. The lack of pitching depth, that was the big thing that I was looking at that I didn't think that they'd be able to withstand the season, which 
I would say that I kind of have been right when you look at their rotation throughout the year. Um, but they did a pretty nice job of making two small acquisitions at the deadline. I was a little confused at the time because sitting at the deadline, they were maybe two or three games below 500. And they bring in two veteran rentals, guys that you kind of forget that they were still pitching. John Lester, who we had mentioned earlier, and Jay Happ, uh, another left-hander who's 37, 38 years old. And they've both done a, a pretty nice job filling in Lester, 4.02 ERA across 10 starts. J-Hap, 4.33 ERA across 9 starts. So for two guys that they didn't give up much for, uh, they've both done a pretty nice job. I was a little surprised that they gave up John Gant in order to get J-Hap, a little bit of a younger swingman type, um, maybe Marco Estrada type, if we're just going to try to name drop Marco Estrada as much as possible in this episode. But Adam Wainwright has emerged as really an ace once again. He's, I think, second in all of baseball in innings pitched with 196 and a third. He's 16 and 7 with a 2.89 ERA at the age of 39. He's really fun to watch pitch, not against the Brewers, but against all the other teams. Uh, he does a really nice job of, of pitching, uh, throwing sinkers and cutters in the upper 80s uh, and locating the ball really well, dropping that curveball that's maybe the best curveball of his generation. And he's done a really nice job, even though he doesn't throw really hard anymore. Uh, and he, you know, he still has decent stuff, but not amazing. So Wainwright has been a very pleasant surprise. If you're a Cardinals fan, Kwang Hyung Kim has been pretty solid 3.63 ERA across 101 innings. But after that, Jack Flaherty has been hurt for much of the year. John Gant, they dealt at the deadline. Carlos Martinez has been hurt for a while. Their bullpen has been okay. Alex Reyes uh, walking everyone, 49 walks in 68 and two-thirds innings. Um, but people don't really get hits off Alex Reyes, so he has been pretty good outside of the Vogelbach Grand Slam. Giovanni Gallegos has been their most reliable back end of the bullpen guy. Genesis Cabrera, a wild lefty, but has got the job done overall, even though he does walk four and a half guys per nine innings, which is not very good. So they don't really have the makings of like an excellent pitching staff, but they've just been able to get the job done when they've needed to. Even yesterday, um, watching the game, they had Cody Whitley come in, who's done a nice job for them, 2.86 ERA across 22 innings. Luis Garcia nailed down the save, uh, who's been pretty good. He's a journeyman, 34 years old, hasn't really established himself in the majors, uh, but he has done a really nice job for them this year. TJ McFarland, uh, lefty who throws like 89, 90 miles an hour out of the bullpen. Uh, and he's done a really good job for them as well. 32 innings, 2-5-3 ERA. So the Cardinals have done a pretty good job with the overall lack of talent, I would say, that they have on the pitching staff. Uh, and they've been a surprise. I would not have expected the Cardinals to be as good as they have been this year. Uh, so that's kind of where I want to start. And their offense has been pretty good as well. Um, Molina, he's not that good with the bat anymore, but still good enough. 255 average, 301 on base percentage. He's not really a liability. Goldschmidt has kind of returned to being the Goldschmidt that he was in Arizona. Maybe a step, a slight step down because he is already 33 years old. Uh, slugging 491 this year. Edmund has been solid. Uh, Tyler O'Neill's having a breakout year. He might get some some down ballot MVP votes. Harrison Bader has finally become about the average hitter that you needed him to be. 
uh, because he's excellent with the glove, excellent base runner. And then Dylan Carlson's had a pretty good year uh, as a right fielder, as a 22-year-old rookie who really struggled in the majors last year. And Mundo Sosa has done a nice job for them filling in at shortstop. So the Cardinals have a decent roster, uh, and they are maybe the best team that's um, that's in contention for the fifth wild card or the, the fifth playoff spot, the second wild card. But should the Brewers really be afraid of them? The Cardinals have that the devil magic, uh, as some people say, where they get hot at the right time. Uh, look back, even in the last, I guess, 15 years, uh, 2004, they made it to the World Series. They lost to the Red Sox. I don't think they had a great year then. I wasn't wasn't really following baseball back in 2004. Um, 2006, they won 83 games, snuck in, won the division, and then won the World Series because they got hot at the right time. 2011, uh, of course, we don't want to be reminded of this, but the Cardinals were down, I think, like seven games. So the Braves going into September um, and rallied back and ended up winning the wild card spot on the uh, the last day of the season and then beat the Phillies in five games who had won 100 games that year. And then, of course, we know what happens. David Freeze becomes the second coming of Babe Ruth against the Brewers, and the Brewers are unable to get past the Cardinals, uh, who take it in six games before beating the Rangers uh, in the World Series. Um, so we've seen it before with the Cardinals. They've still got Molina and Wainwright since those guys have been on the team for like 17 years or something. But even though they are the Cardinals, and you always have to like factor that in a little bit, like give them like a couple maybe extra percentage points of chances of making the playoffs and chances of winning a playoff series, their roster just isn't that deep. I mean, their offense may be kind of similar to the Brewers. Their defense is kind of similar to the Brewers. But their pitching staff is nowhere near the Brewers. Uh, Adam Wainwright versus Corbin Burns. I mean, Wainwright has had a good year, but, and of course, anything can happen in a short postseason series. But let's not act like Adam Wainwright is a, a Cy Young Award winner still uh, in, in 2021. He's very good, but he's not he's not a, a superstar uh, like Corbin Burns is, like Brandon Woodruff is. I mean, the way that they match up in a playoff series, even against the Brewers, Wainwright. Kim, Lester, Hap, maybe Flaherty's back. I'm honestly not sure uh, when he'll be back. But, I mean, I just don't see it. I I would actually be kind of happy to face the Cardinals because if the Brewers do face the Cardinals in the playoffs, that means that the Cardinals got past the Dodgers and the Giants, and that means that the Brewers don't have to face either of those teams. Now, I'm not too uh, too worried about the Giants, actually. Even though the Giants have had a really nice year, uh, and I don't want to discredit them. They're going to win 100 games, and nobody expected them to be anywhere close to this good. <clears throat> but the Cardinals are not going to win 100 games. They're not that good. And the Dodgers, of course, the juggernaut of the National League as far as talent goes. I, I just I would be happy to face the Cardinals in the, the NLCS, even though maybe they're playing really well. They've won nine straight, and they're the Cardinals. And... The two, the two best teams in franchise history for the Brewers <clears throat> have both been eliminated by the Cardinals in the playoffs. And of course, we wouldn't want to make it a third. But other than the fact that they wear 
the STL on their hats and they have the bird on their chest, I would be happy to face the Cardinals. And I don't think that we should be too concerned about them, um, really, other than the fact that anything can happen in a playoff series. I would be I would be much happier to face the Cardinals than I would be the Dodgers or the Giants. So that's kind of where I stand on uh, whether or not we should be worried about the red-hot Cardinals who have won nine straight, surging back. They're now, I think, like three games up in the second wild card. Uh, they swept the Padres at home. Uh, they are, let's see, yeah, they're up three games to Cincinnati, up four games to San Diego. San Diego just three games above 500, up four and a half to Philadelphia. Uh, looking like the Mets are basically out of contention now, which is, I mean, kind of a pre precipitous fall for the Mets, who were in control of the NL East for a long time. But looks like the Cardinals could sneak in in the, the second wild card. Uh, and while I don't always really like to see the Cardinals in the playoffs, it's not the worst thing. It's not the Cardinals of 2011. They're not, they're not as good as the Cardinals of 2011, 1982, uh, even the Cardinals of a few years ago um, when uh, they were winning in the games, 95 games, 97 games. They're a pretty good team, but they're not great. So that's kind of where I would stand on the Cardinals. I wouldn't be too worried about them. Second topic that we're going to move to is about the Brewers postseason roster. What should the Brewers postseason roster look like? The Brewers are allowed to carry 26 players in the playoffs, and they can change the uh, the, the roster uh, after each series. So you have to set it before each series, and then you can change it if someone gets hurt. Um, but that's the only reason for changing the, the playoff roster. So um, we're going to take a look at what it should look like. So, of course, you have the locks. We're going to start with the pitching staff. Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Lauer, Hauser are all going to be on the roster for sure. Hader, Williams, Boxberger, Suter, Strickland, Ashby, Cousins. I have to imagine all of those guys will be on there. That's 12 from the pitching staff. And then you go to the offense, Narvaez and Pena for sure. That's two, Telez, Wong, Escobar, Adamas, Urias. That's five more, Yelich, Kane, Garcia. So that's 22 guys that I would consider to be locks on the postseason roster. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a guy that of course, going in, you would have expected him to be um, a lock to be on the postseason roster. But, of course, we all know how his offensive, how his year's gone offensively. Uh, he's been borderline unplayable. But I think that Bradley has to get a lot, another spot because of his defense. Because you can put him in late in the game, defensive replacement, say, for Christian Yelich, who really hasn't hit that well this year. Now, of course... Taking out Yelich in favor of Jackie Bradley Jr. is a big downgrade offensively. But it's not like Yelich is the superstar of the lineup anymore, or at least at this point this year. Uh, so Yelich is not that great defensively. Um, but bringing a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. for his defense, maybe slide Kane over to, to left, or maybe you put Garcia in left, uh, that's something that late in the game that can make a difference in a, in a playoff series. And I think you have to kind of keep Jackie Bradley Jr. for his glove. That's my opinion. I know some other people might say, no, you keep Tyrone Taylor and not Jackie Bradley Jr. And I could certainly see the argument for that. But I would I would choose to keep Jackie Bradley Jr. And also his postseason experience, uh, his, his pedigree um, of winning a World Series with the Red Sox. Uh, he's been there before. Uh, he probably made the playoffs, what, like five times with the Red Sox, four times. Uh, he's got experience there, and he's one of those players that you could, 
I mean, not with the way he's hit this whole year, but you could see him potentially having a, a very good offensive series. If it's if he gets 15 at-bats, I mean, you could see him going 6 for 15, 5 for 15. It could happen. Uh, so he's not someone that's just lost at the plate, like, over the course of his career. Like, he, it's not like he's never had success before offensively. For that reason, I would say keep Jackie Bradley Jr., primarily for his glove, also for his experience there. So that puts it at 23. So that leaves three more spots for, uh, you could keep a 13th pitcher if you want. You could keep Yandel Gustave or Miguel Sanchez. Or you could keep Jace Peterson, Pablo Reyes, or Dan Vogelbach, or Tyrone Taylor. This is a pretty tough call. And I would say probably not either of those two pitchers because you already have seven relievers plus whoever doesn't start among Lauer and Hauser. So you've got eight relievers then um, for a five-game series, for a seven-game series, which I think is plenty, especially because Ashby can give you a few innings. Suter could give you two, maybe three innings. Hauser or Lauer, whoever doesn't start, uh, could give you some length. So I would personally say probably not Gustave or Sanchez. Those are guys that usually pitch when they're down anyways. And they've done a pretty good job with the Brewers so far, but I just don't think it'd be worth it to uh, to use a valuable roster spot on one of those guys. So you've got three spots then left for Peterson, Reyes, and Vogelbach, and Taylor. Those four guys. Jace Peterson has been good all year long. He's got versatility, especially still playing the National League game with the pitcher in the lineup. Uh, a lot of double switches in the postseason, potentially. I think you got to keep Jace Peterson on that bench. So down to two more spots for Reyes, Vogelbach, and Taylor. Uh, Vogelbach is probably their best bench bat, um, or at least the best left-handed bench bat, because you've got Urias from the right side who probably will mostly be on the bench, um, at least against against uh, right-handed pitching. So they bring in a left-handed pitcher maybe to face someone like Rowdy Telez. You pinch hit Luis Urias, but... They have a right-handed pitcher in the game. I like my odds with Dan Vogelback at the plate. Uh, nice bench bat, and I think that he would be a pretty valuable guy to have on a postseason roster, which leaves one spot for Reyes and Taylor, assuming I am counting right. 5, 10, 15, 19, 21, 23. Peterson, Vogelback. Yeah, so one more spot for Reyes or Taylor. I think this one comes down to... Um, assuming that Taylor is healthy. He looked really good so far in his rehab assignment in Nashville. And I think if Tyrone Taylor is healthy, you got to keep Taylor. You got to put him on the roster because uh, he is, he, he's really had a good year when he's been on the field. And right-handed hitter like Reyes, but he's better than Reyes offensively. Yeah, Reyes can play in the infield a little bit. But if you've got Peterson, you've got Vogelbach, and then you've got Urias uh, kind of as a, a bench guy, or starting against lefties, you've got some versatility there. I would I would choose to, to keep Tyrone Taylor for that last spot, uh, unless the Brewers decide that they want to keep another pitcher. Uh, unfortunately, I would, I would leave off Pablo Reyes, who's actually really been pretty good with the Brewers um, over the last month or so. Uh, I would decide I would decide to keep uh, Tyrone Taylor. And so I think the Brewers roster should be um, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Lauer, Hauser, Hader, Williams, Boxberger, Suter, Strickland, Ashby, Cousins with the offense comprised of Narvaez, Pena, Telez, Wong, Escobar, Adames, Urias, 
Peterson and Vogelbach in the infield, and then Yelich, Kane, Garcia, JBJ, and Tyrone Taylor uh, in the outfield. I would, I would, I would decide to keep those uh, 26 guys. But who should get the start in, in a game four? Uh, that's a question that there's been kind of debate about, which in the past it would have been like, oh, we have to have someone who starts game four, and it would be like Dave Bush or something. Actually, I think Dave Bush was like a game two starter back in like 2008. But anyways, the Brewers have a good problem in that they have Eric Lauer, who has had an excellent year. People, I think, were writing off Eric Lauer way too quickly because he last year had... I mean, he had a really bad year, kind of a lost year, but he was at the alternate training site for a while, and then he um, he had, like, three outings where he wasn't that great. But, like, come on, really? Are we going to base the Eric Lauer, um, Eric Lauer with the Brewers off of what, 11 innings, 13 ERA? So he allowed, like, 14 runs in 11 innings. But, I mean, like, seriously... That's like way too small of a, a sample to draw on, especially because the year before in 149 innings, you had a 4.45 ERA, 112 innings the prior year, a 4.34 ERA. So uh, it's not like it's someone who'd never had success at the major league level. Also pretty young. He's 26 now. He's in his fourth major league year. Um, it's not like he came up at the age of 27 or something. Even like Hauser, who didn't really establish himself till he was 26 at the major league level. Um, but... Hauser this year is at a 3-4-3 a ERA across 131 and a third innings. Lauer, 3-0-3 ERA in 107 innings. Who would you decide to start in the playoffs? Uh, the Brewers uh, in the NLDS will probably play either Atlanta or Philadelphia. Uh, as a baseball fan, I'm kind of hoping Philadelphia wins because I want to see Bryce Harper in the postseason. I want to see Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola uh, and... Kind of a, an interesting Phillies team, but I don't want to face them really because I don't want to have to face Wheeler one game one, Nola game two, and then Wheeler again potentially game five. Like I, I definitely think the Brewers are the better team over Philadelphia, but I just don't. I, I would just prefer to face Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta's as good on paper. They've got pretty good pitching staff. Uh, they've got Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, and um, who am I forgetting? Uh, Oh, Max Fried, who are a pretty good top three. Uh, not not as good as the Brewers, but pretty good top three. Uh, their offense is, is not bad, but I mean, they don't have Acuna, of course, and they don't have Marcelo Zuna, uh, who last year was like the best hitter in baseball. So it's not like the Braves are as good as they were, say, last year or the previous year. They're pretty good, but they're not great. So uh, overall, I'd prefer to face Atlanta, just kind of a side note. But you start Lauer or Hauser. Um, I personally would choose to start Lauer. And the reason I say this, uh, one, the top three starting pitchers for the Brewers are all right-handers. Give them a different look uh, with a lefty. Uh, I, I don't think that matters a, a ton, but mm, sure. Uh, Lauer strikes out more guys. Hauser is usually a little bit more dependent on the defense, which is fine, especially uh, across uh, a season. But then you're more likely to get... Uh, what we call the Babbitt games, where he'll allow like seven singles in a row that just sneak through the infield, versus I feel a little bit more confident about Lauer uh, since he strikes out more guys. And also, Hauser has a little bit worse control. So, Hauser is more likely to have a uh, like blow up inning where, um, where he walks like 
five batters or something. Not that that's a little extreme, but where he just loses his command, basically leaves pitches over the plate, can't throw strikes. Um, and Lauer, it doesn't seem like he has those. Lauer also, I would say, has been pitching better as of late. Now, Hauser had that complete game shutout like two weeks ago and has been fine since then. So it's not like Hauser has been pitching poorly, but I would say for those reasons, I would start Lauer. And I'm not saying Lauer's going to go like seven innings or something. You could even piggyback them, maybe go Lauer for uh, a time or two through the order and then maybe Hauser uh, for a time through the order. Maybe, depending on what the, the pitching is is like at that point. Hopefully the Brewers don't even have to get to a game four. Hopefully they, they sweep, but um, of course, can't expect that. Um, and so I would say probably um, probably start Eric Lauer for game four. Uh, he's been very good, but you can't really go wrong with either of them. And the thing is, too, with the, the number of multi-inning guys the Brewers have behind Lauer, and also it's not like Lauer would be starting like game two. Hopefully, Lauer starting a game four where the Brewers got nice starts out of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. And that's even if they get to a game four. Because, of course, we're hoping for a Brewer sweep. But um, but the bullpen, hopefully, would be relatively fresh. The Brewers have a good bullpen. I, I don't want... I feel like it's overlooked a lot. Haters, maybe the best reliever in baseball. Williams is having a really nice year. Uh, and then Boxberger's been pretty solid. Suter's decent as a, a middle innings guy. Strickland has done a really nice job as an ERA of, like, 1.3 with the Brewers. Ashby has been almost untouchable since that terrible debut against the Cubs. Jake Cousins has been really, really good. So the Brewers have an excellent bullpen. And I I mean, I, I feel very confident about the Brewers uh, pitching staff. And I think everyone does, which I was looking. This is actually not the best ERA that the Brewers have ever had as a staff. Um, this is kind of going into our third topic, I guess, uh, which is who is going to allow runs for the Brewers in the postseason. Because the Brewers' strength is definitely in the pitching staff. It's no secret. Uh, but, but like, they are a really good team. Um, and especially with the pitching staff. 1971, actually, the Brewers had a 3-3-8 team ERA um, versus this year a 3-4 ERA. But now I don't know for sure, but I would guess that the, the league-wide ERA in 1971 was, like, 3.7 or something. Uh, because... That year, their their team war as a pitching staff was 9.4. This year, it's 22.6. So that's kind of relative to uh, how the rest of the league is. And the Brewers also play at Miller Park, or uh, American Family Field, which is uh, one of the tougher places to pitch. So uh, the Brewers have a, a really good staff, uh, the best in franchise history. I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious um, that they have the best staff in franchise history. Their offense isn't as good as some of the really good teams they had in, in 82 and 2011, but they still have a good enough offense with a pitching staff that, um, I mean, the thing is you have Burns go out for hopefully six, seven innings, and then you maybe go to Williams, and then you go to Hayter. Woodruff go six innings, and then you go to Boxberger. Let's say they're behind. You go to Brent Suter, Hunter Strickland, who they, they don't allow that many runs. Um, and... Like the, they're just they're really deep too. Especially when you look at a postseason where usually to be successful with a pitching staff in the postseason, um, you only need a few guys. You don't need to have you don't need to be seven eight deep, which the Brewers are. But um, 
but I mean, you depend on, especially when you've got starters like this, you kind of depend on like your top three starters and your top like four relievers. And the Brewers are better than anyone, I would say, um, if you look at that. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of uh, the, the Brewers are, they are a juggernaut as far as the pitching staff. We, we're talking about the Dodgers as the juggernaut of the National League talent-wise, but the Brewers are that way with the pitching staff. I'd take the Brewers pitching staff over the Dodgers any day. Everyone, oh yeah, Scherzer, Bueller, Kershaw. Sure, great pitchers. I'm not trying to, to take that away from them, but look at their stats this year. Give me Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. I'll take I'll take those three over over those those uh, the Dodgers three. Uh, Julio Urias, yeah, I know the Dodgers have him too, um, and he's very good. But I take the Brewers bullpen too. Uh, Josh Hader also having one of the best relief seasons in Brewers history. It doesn't have quite the amount of innings as say. 2018 Josh Hader or um, like Raleigh Fingers peak seasons, but the Brewers are saving him more for the postseason where he can go maybe two innings at a time uh, and he's more fresh, uh, which he was still really good back a couple years ago when they did use him a lot in the regular season, but he's having one of the better seasons in franchise history as a reliever. Devin Williams, 26th in Fangraph's war among relief pitchers, and that'll climb a little bit more since we've still got a, a, couple, a, week, or a week and a half left to go. Uh, so those are just two of the more underrated seasons in Brewers franchise history as far as relievers go. Uh, they've done a really nice job. Williams has gone under the radar because he struggled out of the gates and then kind of regained, almost regained his form where he went like 20 appearances without being scored on before that Giants game. Also, another side note, if the Brewers are facing an NL West team in the NLCS, which is pretty likely, you got to start Eric Lauer. Eric Lauer against the NL West, I don't know what it is about about um, about Eric Lauer against the NLS. Maybe it's because he knows the hitters. It's his old division. Uh, maybe it's because they're more they're more pitcher friendly parks generally, other than Colorado. But like he is, I don't know. He's just like I don't I don't I don't have the stats pulled up, but he's probably has like a one ninety ERA against the NLS. Maybe so you got to start him against the NLS. Uh, if you do. and even last year, I remember thinking. Maybe they should start him against the Dodgers, even coming off that terrible year. Um, but anyways, that wraps it up for the pitching staff. Um, before we finish, just wanted to touch on a couple other things. I was reading a book about the old American Association, Milwaukee Brewers. So that was like a AAA team from 1902 to 1952 in Milwaukee. And there were just some names that were outstanding that I wanted to point out. Uh, Ulysses Simpson Grant. Uh, Stoney McGlynn, uh, he went by Stoney, Buster Braun, Dinty Guerin, Spinach Melillo, Enoch Ginger Chenault, Beauty McGowan, Bunny Brief, uh, Nick Cullop was his, this guy's name, but he was known as either Old Tomato Face or Hipper Dipper, and then my favorite, Bubber Gennard, I, I tweeted that one out. Uh, I, I wonder, like, where does the nickname Bubber come from? Like, what is Bubber? Like, I don't know, is like, like some of these, okay, maybe I can see how someone would get the name like Ginger. Like maybe he has red hair or something. Or like Spinach, maybe he was like super healthy or something. But like Bubber or like Hip or Dipper. Like I was like, where do these names come from? And like, can we get some of these names back in baseball? Like, like um, anyone remember Woody Williams, that like average starting pitcher in like the mid 2000s with like the Cardinals and the Astros, I think before that. His real name was Woodrow Wilson Williams, 
uh, for anyone who's wondering that. And uh, Ted Lilly, Theodore Roosevelt Lilly. Like, those are their real names. Like, go look them up on Baseball Reference. But we don't have enough names. There's also one that was named, like, George Washington Buckner uh, on the old Brewers. Um, but I was thinking, like, what if we, like, had nicknames for the Brewers like that? Like, I was thinking, like, Soft Tissue Anderson, maybe, uh, would, would be a good one. Uh, or, like, Bunny Adames for, like, the Energizer Bunny or something. That was not, not as good. Um, but just some ideas. Maybe if you guys have any any ideas of names that we could use, uh, you could send them in and we could we could, we could make it a thing. Uh, get get some of these current players to have these great nicknames. Maybe Redneck Woodruff, uh, something like that. Um, but we're going to go back to the trivia question, answer the trivia question. Uh, the reminder of the question was, how many active pitchers have 200 or more career wins to their names? Um, and this comes in light of John Lester's 200th victory against the Brewers last night. Uh, and so this includes Lester, including Lester, how many active pitchers have 200 or more wins? The answer to that is three, including a former Brewer in Zach Grinke, who has 213 career wins. Justin Verlander, 226 wins. He has not pitched this year, but he's injured. Uh, and I think we'll resume pitching again next year. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, in the majors. He is going to be 40, I think. Grinky's 38 right now, so uh, Lester might retire after the year. I was kind of glad he got his 200th win. Of course, not against the Brewers, but at least, I mean, I, I was glad because he was sitting at 199, and Lester might retire after the year. He's not, I mean, he just looked like he was really good last year, or last night with the with the Cardinals against the Brewers, but he's not that good anymore, so could retire. He's 37 already. Um, but, so I was kind of glad that he didn't finish his career at 199 like uh, Ian Kinsler, who finished his career with 1,999 hits. Um, but that answers today's trivia question. Uh, just looking at the standings, we talked about them a little bit, but uh, the Dodgers and Giants still uh, locked in that divisional race. Giants up one game on the Dodgers. The Dodgers are up 15 and a half games for the first wild card spot. So they're doing pretty well. Um, and they're both going to hit 100 wins, but one of them is going to have to have a, a one-game playoff in the wild card game. The Brewers sitting at 91 and 59. They're 10 and a half games over the Cardinals. Magic number is three. Uh, the Braves up three games against Philadelphia for the NL East, and then the Cardinals are up three games over um, over is it uh, over Cincinnati for the, for the second wild card up four against San Diego, I think four and a half against Philadelphia. So Cardinals probably will get the second wild card. Braves probably will win the NL East, um, but definitely the those those uh, races are far from over. We still got like 11 games left, 12 games left, something like that. So uh, definitely still races out there. Then in the American League, which I know is kind of less important, Rays 93 and 58. They're going to win the division. They haven't clinched yet. Nobody's actually clinched a playoff spot yet in the AL East or the AL, but uh, Rays are going to make the playoffs. Astros are going to win their division too. White Sox are also going to win their division. They could clinch as early as tonight. The White Sox could, um, but the White Sox will probably be the three seed in the American League. But the wild card kind of interesting. Red Sox are up a game and a half on Toronto. Toronto's up a half game on the Yankees, and the Yankees are up. Uh, a game and a half on Oakland. So pretty tight race. And then Oakland's only up a game on Seattle. So definitely pretty tight there. I, I keep forgetting Seattle might make the playoffs, which is crazy. I don't think they will, but 
still kind of crazy. They are not that good of a team. They've just been able to um, get to basically win the close games. And um, I, hope, I hope the Blue Jays and probably the Blue Jays and A's, but I don't think the A's will make it. Probably Blue Jays, Red Sox. I just don't want the Yankees to make it. Um, nobody likes the Yankees. So pretty tight there. I saw in the in the American League East that so the the Rays have a 616 winning percentage. If you take out their game against the Orioles, they have a 565 winning percentage, which would put them at third in the American League. Instead, they're four or three and a half games up on the Astros for the one seed. So the Orioles are just a disgrace to Major League Baseball right now. They need to actually try, um, which is something we can talk about maybe after the playoffs are over, how to make baseball more competitive because there are too many teams that are just not trying to win. So, um, so that's kind of where the AL leads or the AL ends. Um, as we wrap up, Brewers need to go just six and six to break the franchise record of 96 wins. So that would put them at 97 and 65. So hopefully they can do at least that, um, break the record for best season as far as record goes. They need to go nine and three to win 100 and 100 games. Not likely, but definitely doable. They're playing the Cardinals for six more games, the slumping Mets, and then they end the year in LA against the Dodgers, which could be an interesting series. Um, and then uh, the Brewers need to just win two more games against the Cardinals to clinch the division. If they're not able to win two of the next three, the magic number is three. So they would just, they need to win, the Bre need, need to have a combination of three Brewers wins or Cardinals losses. So the Brewers are on the verge of that. But that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me as I had to do a solo episode. I, uh, I'm glad that we were able to talk about what, kind of the status of the Brewers going into the postseason uh, or, or almost into the postseason, the final stretch of the regular season. Um, but thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more postseason coverage, especially previewing some, some opponents for the playoffs uh, and maybe looking at some some interesting things that happened in the last week or two. So stay tuned. Thanks again for listening. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.